Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hold up. 
Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ryan, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's been a long time, but it's very good to be back. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, it's good to have you back here. You know, for people listening, uh, you know, we had you back in uh, the days when we were called Blogcast FM. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you came to talk about your work uh, on confessions of a media manipulator and all the stuff you've done around book marketing. But you know, this new book is such a radical shift from the kinds of stuff that you were writing about in the past. And so I thought it would be a really interesting thing to have you come back and to talk about it. Before we do that, uh, let's let's get into your personal story, your journey, and then how that has led to the work that you're doing in this book in particular sure um so where do you want me to start do you want to ask questions or you want me just no just tell the story tell the story yeah so i i dropped out of college when i was 19 years old i worked for an author named named tucker max who would who was then just a a blogger who was on on the verge of putting out his first book um I, i moved to los angeles to work for this person and uh, I ended up working with another author at the same time, who's, who's named Robert Green, who I think has also been on the show, mm-hmm. um, who wrote the Forty Eight Laws of Power. And so it was this period of, uh, as a, as a young man, uh, sort of out of traditional education, learning under these very um, high profile, unique individuals. I I also ended up working at a talent management agency at the same time. So it was this weird uh, apprentice. Uh, apprenticeship for me under what I would consider these masters of crafts that I wanted to make my way in, which was, you know, uh, writing and then, and then also sort of marketing and strategy. And so, um, that was my early twenties was, was this period working for these people. I ended up through Robert Green. I met, um, Dove Charney who was the founder of American Apparel. I, I, uh, I, I became his assistant and I worked my way up through that company. I became the director of marketing um, and, you know, since then I, I went on, I, I, I ultimately ended up, you know, uh, breaking off. I, I, I wrote my first book when I was 24, 25 years old, which is a bestseller. I, this book is my third. Um, that's like the sort of top line story of me. The, the story that most people don't know about all that is um, at 19 years old, I just started working for Tucker. I went, I attended this conference when I was in college that was, that was, uh, Shared by Dr. Drew. Now he has a show on HLN. Uh, he was the, he's been the host of Loveline for like twenty years. He, he he even hosted that show, Celebrity Rehab, on VH1. He's this sort of well-known, almost Dr. Phil-like figure. I, I I consider that comparison to be a a little insulting, but he's this well-known sort of television doctor. And and I went to this conference, and uh, afterwards it was a very small conference. Afterwards, I I thought I would ask him a question, and I. 
I'd been doing this thing where I would ask smart people that I respected, I would ask them what books they thought someone young uh, who was ambitious should read. And Dr. Drew recommended a, a, a book of philosophy by a philosopher uh, named Epictetus, who, would, who was uh, a member of what's called the Stoic uh, School of Philosophy. So I went back to my hotel room, I bought that book, and I bought another book uh, by another Stoic philosopher that Amazon recommended at the same time called uh, The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And meditations arrived first. You know how Amazon worked back then. Mm-hmm. took three or four days to arrive. There was no prime. Um, Marcus Aurelius arrives, and, and I sit and I read this book, and it just it totally blows my mind. It's what uh, Tyler Cowen would call a quake book. Like, it just shook everything that I thought I knew about the world um, to its core in, in the way that, like, if I'd been sent to jail and someone recommended that I read you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X, that would have changed my life. You know, this was the book that was sort of right time, right place. It introduced me to this this sort of ancient practical philosophy. And that philosophy was what I took with me and what allowed me to manage the incredibly stressful, you know, temptation-ridden, uh, uh, complicated world of Hollywood, of publishing, and then and then of marketing. And and that's what the the newest book is about, is about that philosophy, which has sort of been my, I don't want to call it a secret weapon, but it's sort of been the, my secret tool that I've used um, and that I haven't, I haven't really talked about much until now. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> let's do this. I want to go back to the decision to drop out of college at the age of 19. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that people have these uh, inklings to do things like that, uh, whether it be leaving a job, whether it be leaving a relationship, whatever it is, and something keeps them from doing it. And as somebody who didn't look back, or maybe you did for all I know, uh, but found the, the the courage to be able to do it, I mean, what do you think it takes to, to build a capacity for doing things like that? Yeah, I mean, this is something I, I've thought a lot about because I now get, because I've written about it, I get asked this question all the time. Sure. Uh, like, you know, should I drop out of college? I hate college. And so it, it's something I don't take very lightly because it was one of the most terrifying decisions that I ever made in my life. Um, you know, my parents did not approve. Uh, you know, I actually dropped out of the of the school that your father is a professor at, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so my parents didn't approve. Um, they, they sort of thought I was throwing everything away. I was terrified. There's no, like, rule book or guidebook that helps you with this decision. Um, I think... One of the big misnomers about dropping out of college or, or doing these sort of life-changing decisions is like people assume that I hated college and that's why I left. I actually really liked college. What happened was that I had a better option that I felt like I, I built a side project, which was working for these authors. I built these relationships. And then it came it came to a point where that side project was more exciting and had more opportunity and upside than the default option of going to school. It's like if you have a job that you're not happy with, quitting without a plan is not usually the best option. Sometimes that's what you need to break apart the, you know, the the sort of corner that you've backed yourself into and I totally get that. But usually when you're a 20-year-old uh, you know, teenager essentially, just walking away from something is not the option. So for me, the courage I felt was not in the uh, deciding to leave school because that was like a, a, 
a pretty clear weighing of the pros and cons. Sure. The 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 thing the thing that helped me jump ahead was while I was in college, instead of drinking or going to parties or sort of living in this, you know, uh, suspended adolescence that so many college students are in, I said, what can I do while I'm here? What advantages does being a student offer me and how can I take advantage of those? And then it just happened that I sort of hit the lottery there and I got to leave much earlier than than most people. But even if I hadn't, if I decided to stay through, I still would have been graduating in a much better position than most of my peers had because I was willing to not be complacent with the fact that like, hey, I'm going to college, I'm on a scholarship, I'm getting good grades. Like that wasn't enough for me. And so that's what put me in a position to drop out which was scary, but rational, I felt. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> more interesting, you know, it's interesting. I know you've been asked this question, but you know, you mentioned that you were terrified. And I guess a question for me is, is when you make these kinds of decisions, how you cope with that sort of fear and uncertainty and anxiety of the unknown? Yeah, I, I remember I, I dropped out and I'd, I'd come back. My girlfriend still lived uh, and was still going to school and I would come back on the weekends. And I remember I, I pulled into the parking space and I was just like this nervous wreck. Like I was so anxious. I was so worried that like I'd made the wrong decision. You know, my parents like had disowned me. It was this. And then it just like I just remember sitting there and thinking like this is it's just life. Like why am I so why am I so worried that I made the wrong decision? Like this is America. I'm not going to starve to death. I'm not going to die. Worst case scenario, I could crawl back to school re-enroll even if it has to be at a worse school like i'm still so far ahead of where other people would rightfully be be grateful to be in it's almost like selfish and self-absorbed to to think that like the stakes are so high for what you're doing Mm -hmm. and so that was a big breakthrough for me and that comes from stoicism which is you know stoicism says you know, don't focus on everything that you want. It's like focus on what you have. Focus on on the fact that you're you're a human being who's going to exist for a finite amount of years in a planet, and then you're going to die and you're going to be buried alongside everyone else. And I know that sounds depressing at first, but it's actually really freeing because like so much of our anxiety and fear is wrapped up in our sort of expectations and entitlements. Um, and just a general lack of awareness of like context and perspective. And so, you know, when I'm a, when I'm a 20 year old kid, like I'm sitting down and I'm reading these words from these philosophers who went through, you know, significantly more stressful situations than I do, than, than I was. And that calmness can help you like, just take a breath and see what you're going through and not be so convinced that you're the only person in the history of the world who ever felt scared before. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. Uh, let, let's look at this a bit through the lens of your own personal story, because I mean, I, I want to yeah. talk about some things that maybe you haven't revealed elsewhere before. Okay. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, there's two things. You mentioned getting that book and having that be sort of a, a shaken to the core moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first question is really, how do you recognize when those moments happen in your own life? Like, clearly, you recognize this book showing up was a pivotal moment for you, something that fundamentally changed a lot of things. And I'm really interested in learning how to be aware and how to recognize those kinds of moments. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember the book came and I sat down and I read it. It's a very short book and it's it's not like a you don't necessarily even need to read it chronologically or linearly. It's just like a collection of thoughts. And I remember that just like thought after thought was like it is Hey Ryan. For me. Oh, sorry, never mind. Keep going. Oh, sorry. He's writing this thing for me to address my the problem I am facing right now. And and I like you know, part of the, part of it, I could have gotten distracted and watched TV. I could have gone and got high. You know, there's any number of ways that you can sort of snuff out that spark when it first happens. For me, I, I was just so excited. I got so carried away. I read it all in one day. Then I read everything else I could about this thing. It was like I wanted, I wanted to keep that feeling going. I was like chasing that high. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I guess I've always just been a believer that that books are one of the like a, a not only can a book change change your life, but lots of books can change your life over the course of your years, and that you should seek those those books and moments out and make the most of them. Um, and and so I was I was very like obviously in retrospect I realized what a bigger moment it was than I did at the time. At the time it was like, hey, this book is really good, mm -hmm. but I I also knew like I think there's something here. I owe it to myself to fully explore it and share it and talk about it and engage with the material more than just like, hey, I'm going to read a couple pages of a book before bedtime. Mm -hmm. So well, let's talk about this through the lens of your own personal story. I mean, you mentioned the stress uh, of, you know, Hollywood, marketing, publishing, all the things that you've dealt with. Um, I, I'd like to hear some specifics in which, you know, you applied these principles to, to navigate some particularly difficult and challenging situations in your own life. Yeah, I mean, so here, here I'll tell you a funny one. So the, the day I dropped out of college, uh, or I, I dropped out of college, and, and my boss in, in Hollywood, he gave me a week to uh he gave me a week to sort of like go back pack up all my stuff get an apartment move to la and start my like sort of new life and so obviously this was a somewhat tumultuous time you know i had to inform my parents of the decision that i made i had to like you know let my girlfriend know we we're going to be moving to like a distance relationship thing i had to find i had to move into my first like apartment that i paid for um and so i'm i move in uh, I get the apartment, I show up for work and my boss isn't there. Like the boss that I, like, I didn't leave to like get a job at a company. I got a job like working for this guy who owned the company. Um, and like, he was going to be my like personal mentor. I was only going to have to work for him and he's not there. And the person whose job I was supposed to be replacing, she was still there. And so what had happened was over the weekend, the boss had had like a major health crisis, had had to check himself into rehab. He hadn't been able to let the other woman go. And so I showed up thinking I was starting like my first day at my, you know, this new job that nobody understood, but I knew was the right thing. And uh, the person who was supposed to train me hated me because I was responsible for her being let go. My salary was renegotiated the first day because the other partners heard what I was making and didn't and used the opportunity of my boss being gone as a chance to to renegotiate it. And I had no idea when the man who was supposed to be my sort of personal mentor and boss was going to return. And so this is all of it crashing down. Not only that, that night my 
my car got towed because uh, I parked it in the wrong spot and I woke up and I thought my car had gotten stolen the next day. So it was like this period where it was like, you know, in Arrested Development where like they had that running joke where it's like, I think I've made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. That is how it felt times like a thousand. Like I felt like I just gambled everything and the day I was supposed to start, I lost it all. Um, but but I think what Stoicism teaches in a couple ways or, or what I think I was able to do was understand that, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things seem. There's always a, a way out of the situation. That, that was sort of number one. So it's like you have to keep your head about you. Like I could have freaked out. I could have called this person a million times. I could have called my parents and asked them to come rescue me. You know, I could have tried to get the school to cancel my paperwork. I, I could have. I could have made the situation much worse by freaking out, right? By telling myself a story about how bad it was, mm-hmm. um, and so that's 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 actually the the first uh, section of the of the stoicism book that I wrote is is like controlling your perceptions. So the idea of taking a deep breath, getting control of yourself, saying, "Let's sh- this looks bad. I understand. How do we wait this out? How do we be patient? How do we see how we can make the most of this?" Um, and then number two, it was okay, how can I, now I've got this period of time. Like I've, it it looks like he's not going to be back for a month or so. How, what can I do in this month that allows me to, uh, you know, make the most of this crappy situation? So I was able to get more settled into uh, my, my new life. I was able to be a more of a sort of a gradual move. I was able to really see, just what Hollywood looked like without without with some blinders off, which I thought think was helpful. And then my other job was working for Robert Greene um, at the same time, and so I got a month of really focusing on that. Like I had other work that I could pour myself into that was like a positive uh, a positive outlet. Mm-hmm. And so so and and the good news about it all, I think too, was like, look, it doesn't matter what I do for the rest of my life. Like when I, when I left American Apparel to become an author, when I, when my first book came out and I was really worried about how it was going to do the, the thing that was always sort of running in the back of my head was this is not going to be as bad as dropping out of college, showing up for work the first day and finding out that you might've made the world's biggest, most embarrassing mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but those are sort of like three ways that you I applied it to a, a pretty difficult situation. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities. 
abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, it does. I mean, I I think we'll we'll get into a few more of your personal stories. Uh, Actually, let's do this. I want to ask you one other thing, and then I want to start really looking at this uh, through the framework of the book that you wrote. In all of this, I mean, I think that, you know, we see that one. And then, of course, what we know about your story, at least what is on the Internet, is, hey, Ryan Holiday, the you know book marketing genius behind Tim Ferriss, Robert Greene and Tucker Max, uh, which seems like, you know, the dream job for anybody who is, is struggling or trying sure. to make it. And I remember thinking I was like, yeah, I'm like, I want I would love that job. And I remember trying to market a few books and I did OK with them. And then I realized I'm like, you know what? That's not what I'm good at. It's not my talent. That's what you're good at. And sure. that's what you should do. Uh, but more what I'm more interested in is, you know, after hitting a certain level of success during that period, did you have any sort of rock bottom moments or difficult challenges? Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny, too, because like uh, one of the things I write a lot about is this, like we tell we tell ourselves these stories and then we broadcast those stories publicly. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really hard for people who are not privy to the dirty details Um the people on the outside, they tend to have a very flattering view of how things were. So sure. like, that period of working for Robert and Tucker and American Apparel and 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 working in LA to the outside looked amazing, 
But to me, I was this like ball of stress who who thought I was going to like collapse of a heart attack at any time. Right. So it's like it was great and I wouldn't change it for the world. But it's never exactly what you seem and it's it you see and it's never as glamorous as you think, too. And so you want to be really careful of that. Like, I'm not mean you, but generally when you're envious or you covet what other people have, you have no idea what they go through to get that thing. And you have no idea whether you have the constitution or really the desire to do what they do. And that's why I think it's always better to focus internally on being like the best that you can be putting other things aside. But yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm trying to think of some moments. I remember a, a couple that stand out to me. Um, I'd worked for American Apparel for about a year, and um, we were in the middle of this very nasty lawsuit with a uh, with a certain like very I don't I'll just say like kind of a predatory law firm. And I got caught in the crosshairs. Right, uh, one of the clients uh, worked with someone in the IT department, uh, like totally illegally. They broke into my email address. They took a private conversation with me and the CFO of American Apparel and they leaked it. Like the, It ran in CNBC, the New York Post, Gawker. I mean, so here I was, I'm like 21 years old maybe. I've, I've just sort of, I've just proven that I'm worthy of betting on that someone should, like, someone should give me a shot that I'm mature and responsible, and here my private emails are being leaked that has an immediate damaging and multi-million dollar consequence for the, the company that I'm working for. I look bad, they look bad, you know, and this all happened on Christmas Eve. I found out about it on Christmas Eve. And so, you know, there's this moment where you think like your entire world is crashing down and you don't know what to do about it. Um, and you can you can shut it all out. You can numb it. You can pretend that it's not happening to you. Um, you know, you can get angry. You can get retaliatory, or you can say, "Okay, how wh- how can I salvage this? What can I do about it?" And you can say, "Look, at a certain point, this is out of my control. If they're going to fire me, they're going to fire me, and I'm going to have to find I'm going to have to find out what I'm going to do with my life. I I'm going to have to accept if I'm going to you know." if I'm going to let this be the end or if I'm going to keep going. Um, and, and, and that was like a very huge moment for me. Um, you know, Dove, this, the, then the CEO, I remember he called me and he was like, look, I would never want people to see what's in my email. Um, I'm sorry this happened to you. We're never going to talk about it again. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I would never fire someone for being the victim of a crime. Um, and he didn't need to do that. I was, I, I feel like very fortunate that it happened and I, I'm always going to be grateful for that. But it was like this moment where I, it all could have gone in a very different direction and it didn't. And, and what we, we, I don't control that it happened to me, but I control how I'm going to respond to it and how I can influence that event, uh, for better or for worse. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was one there. There's a couple more if you want to get into them, but. Uh, just let me know. Well, no, let, let's do this. Um, let's actually shift gears a little bit and let's start yeah. talking about, you know, sort of the actual framework uh, of stoicism and, and the obstacle is the way. Because, you know, one thing that I, I've seen over and over, people say that in Silicon Valley, this is almost an operating system for people's internal way of, of handling the stress of building startups and things. But, you know, there, there's one other thing that comes to mind as I think about this. Uh, I remember, I think somewhere, it, maybe it was Viktor Frankl who said it's in the space between stimulus and response that the choice to suffer lies. Mm -hmm. And yet I feel like that space is so minimal for most of us. It's almost like it doesn't exist. Uh, At least I've had moments when I just 
you know, I, I get sent into a tailspin or I get really stressed out about something. So let's let's talk specifically about sort of all the concepts and obstacles away uh, sure. to, to really get people to understand how you apply this to your life, how you make it part of your operating system, I guess, is a way to put it. Sure. So, yeah, I think the operating system uh, analogy is a good one. It, it, it obviously doesn't totally work, but I, I think there's some value there. And, and what, what Viktor Frankl is saying is also true. However, we also understand biologically and, and psychologically that there's some things we have control over and there's some things we don't. Um, I think when, when at the core of Stoicism, I would say, which is to, to back up for a second, in, in ancient philosophy uh, that, that has been popularized by, you know, the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, the, the, the writer and political advisor Seneca, uh, Epictetus, who was a former slave, Cato, uh, one of the Roman elites who challenged um, uh, Caesar was a was a famous Stoic. It, it's an ancient philosophy, but it's it's not philosophy as you would think of philosophy. The sort of um, the the sort of uh, academic philosophy. It, it's it's a practical philosophy. It's a way to live your life, and it's a way to respond to the problems and exigencies of life. And so, what. What I think you get by, by studying Stoicism, almost in the way that you get by studying sort of Zen Buddhism, is you get sort of a set of exercises or thoughts that you can remind yourself of, that you can turn to precisely in those moments when you feel the most tested. So when, when Stoicism says, um, you know, there is no good or bad, there's only perception, that doesn't mean you're never going to see something and think that it's bad. Um, it's that you've got to stop yourself from taking things too far. So it's when I when I show up and and it looks like I've made this terrible mistake, it's not that I shouldn't feel bad or I shouldn't feel like crying or or I I, I shouldn't call my girlfriend and be like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" It's that I I can after I've sort of had that immediate catharsis or venting, now stop and say, "Okay, what am I going to do about this?" Mhm. So, I mean, that, that's, you know, obviously one component. I mean, where does it go from there? Because I know this book is full of tons of practically yeah. applicable insights. So I, I break, Stoicism is a very complex philosophy. I, I very I very much urge people to look at the originals, but people who have written about this far better than me. But the way I structured, I, I wanted this to be a very practical introduction, like primer to a, a, a framework for thinking about the problems that we face in life. So step one is, or the, the book is split in three parts, three disciplines which are crucial in Stoicism. The first one is perception. So that's how you see and understand and tell yourself uh, about the, the problem or issue that you face. Um, so an example of that I, I talk about um, when they send the first astronauts into space, what they train them in is not how you fly the spaceship. That The computers do that. It's really how does the astronaut manage the immense amount of stress and fear and unknown of being launched from the earth into the stratosphere, how do, how do you practice that sort of emotional regulation and discipline so you don't make things worse in an emergency? That's, that's really sort of step one, managing your perception. How do you see the good in a bad situation? How do you see... Um, the, the, the artificial boundaries that people put up about things. How do, you, how do you see all that? That's step one. Step two is is action, right? It doesn't matter how well you see a problem. Eventually, you have to do something about it. 
Um, like I feel like uh, you know, you and I are in, in of of this generation. So many people who graduated into the financial crisis, um, they're still sort of reeling from that, right? They didn't do what you did, which was okay. The job market's not what I want. I tried a couple things, it didn't work. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to start my own show. I'm going to start my own publishing company. We don't get started and try a problem, like try a solution. We just think about how unfair things are. So that's that's a critical part of action. And I think the other critical part of action that I talk about in the book is you don't necessarily have to tackle everything head on. So many people sort of see, how, you know, they see these obstacles in front of them. They see these massive problems and they go, well, they're much bigger than me. They're more successful than me. They have more resources than me. Therefore, I'm screwed. And the reality is, you know, most entrepreneurial success comes sort of from an indirect route or from an out-of-the-box solution or from some previously, you know, ignored path. So I think part of action, and I talk a lot about this in the section, is the, is the importance of creativity, of of, of, of sort of those jujitsu moves that use other people's strength against them. So part one is perception, part two is action, and part three, which I think is the most difficult but critical phase is, is will. And I don't mean will as in willpower, although that's important. I mean will in the sense of like how do you, what it, how do you see your role in the universe? Do you think that the universe is yours to control or do you understand that there are forces that are operating around you all the time that that you don't control, that can that can bring misfortune to you, that could bring pain, that could bring even death. And and how do you, instead of trying to fight all that, do you understand that it's on you to, to make the best of every situation and to love even the things that happen to you? So my favorite story in the book comes from the, that section. I talk about uh, Thomas Edison. He's like 75 years old. He, he gets news, he's eating dinner with his family, that his factory is on fire. And he rushes to the scene and, and he finds, yeah, his life's work has gone up in flames. It's not insured because there's supposed to be these fireproof buildings. And his, his son is like, is visibly upset by all this, as you can imagine. And, and Edison, this like sort of calm washes over him. He looks at his son and he says, go get your mother and all her friends they'll never see a fire like this again. And and so instead of hating this thing that happened to him, he's like enjoying it, right? And I know that seems perverse, but but the thing is, you know, crying or getting angry about a fire doesn't do anything about it. So you might as well take whatever solace you can in the things that happened to you. This That's where Viktor Frankl talks about, you know, finding the meaning in our suffering. At, at the end of the day, we've got to understand that the world is never going to behave exactly how we like it to. So we've got to, we've got to come up with a framework that allows us to adjust and make sense of the things that happen to us, so they don't they don't sort of wreck and ruin us. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about perception a bit. Yeah. Um, how do you cultivate a capacity to change your perception of things that happen to you? Um, I think exposure is obviously a big part of it. Um, this is why you know police officers and 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 soldiers and doctors and EMTs all handle stress differently than you and I. So I think one thing that's interesting is like, we, for instance, we know that we learn from failure. We know that we um, develop a tolerance for stress and conflict and chaos. 
And yet what we do is we try to limit our exposure to these things as much as humanly possible. It's like we understand how vaccines work and then we don't vaccinate ourselves against precisely the situations that when they arise uh, have the potential to ruin us. And so I, I think you know, part of this is is living that sort of strenuous life. It's it's not living a nerf life where you're protected, but living living a life where you're you're out there in the world and you're learning and you're exposing yourselves to situations that make you stronger and better. Um, I think the other thing too is is to truly understand just how powerful our perceptions are. Right? You decide whether something is good or bad. This is what the Stoics say. A situation simply is. Right? You losing your job. Take that as an example. That seems like a, a universally bad situation. But what if the day before your boss had done something that you didn't like and you quit, you know, in 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 righteous indignation? No one would think that was a bad situation. They'd think that what you did was brave or honorable or or uh, respect respectable, right? And so these tiny little con these tiny little context tweaks totally change how what we tell ourselves about something and so a lot of stoicism is about practicing those sort of perception flips so that you are you're not telling yourself like like if something happens to you and then you tell yourself that you've been given a grave injustice that you're totally screwed that that recovery is impossible and that life is very unfair that's obviously going to be harder to improve on and recover from than someone who tells themselves, okay, I wish that this hadn't happened, but it did happen and I'm going to get to work on fixing it. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you think in order to, to put this to work, bad things have to happen to us? Or do you think that, uh, you know, even in the context of, of living a life that is, is basically good, we can still put this stuff to work? Well, First off, I would say, like, look, adversity is is relative. Um, some people come from absolutely nothing, and they face all sorts of uh, physical and financial adversity. Some people come from great wealth, but terrible parents or an awful, unpleasant, you know, emotionally repressive childhood, and that's a form of adversity. And ironically both people would probably trade with each other because everyone hates their own adversity and thinks that whatever, what other people went through is somehow more manageable. And so I, I think, I, I don't think you go around wishing that bad things happen to you or anyone else. Mm -hmm. I think what it, and there's a Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in, in David and Goliath, how dyslexia seems to be correlated with, with a lot of creative success. And so we ask these people, like, would you wish dyslexia on, on your children? And they're all aghast at the question um, because it, dyslexia was so awful, even though it made them who they were. So I don't think it's about hoping for adversity, but it's about sensing the opportunity in every single thing that happens to you, good and bad, mm -hmm. and deciding to make the most of it. Well, I think that makes a, a perfect transition to, you know, deciding to make the most of it and taking action. Uh, I mean, how do you, so once you've decided to make the most of it, how do you take action and let go of all the emotion that you have tied to whatever the adversity is? Because I think if you still have emotion tied up in it and you're taking action, it's kind of like, you know, walking with a ball and chain tied to your foot. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, one, one way is to challenge or is to channel that energy into the thing. Like, 
I, I think people people tend to uh, think that you know success or or creativity is like these flashes of genius, these sort of like moments in life when everything comes together. Like like for me, it was Ryan meets Tucker and and Robert, and then his life is transformed. In in reality, it's like I got a small opportunity, I put my foot in the door, and then I. I slowly jammed my foot further and further in there until my entire body was in there. Then once I was in the room, I worked hard enough that nobody threw me out. And then I got invited into more rooms, right? And part of what was channeling, part of what was motivating me through that persistence and the energy required to do that was, was this, was this sort of sense of purpose and excitement and and also, I would say all the negative emotions, the anxiety and the fear and the stress, I was using them to push myself forward. It's like I didn't want to go back to how things were before, so I wasn't going to waste a single second or minute, you know, feeling sorry for myself, being lazy or, or taking things for granted. Um, I'm a big fan of, like, iteration, right? It's not about... It, it's not about these these big genius ideas. It's about a, a small, a germ of an idea that you grow into something. You had no idea that your show was going to be what it is today or that it would turn into a best-selling book. Like you had an idea probably or you had a hope, but really it was however many episodes you did, all the, the hundreds of them that led you to where you are now. Mm-hmm. And it's that showing up day in and day out. Like I tell the story of Edison again, um, he invents, he has the idea for the light bulb and actually several people have the idea for what the technology required to make a light bulb would be, but it's the actual filament inside the bulb where the, where the, that sort of separated the more, the, the boys from the men, so to speak. Right. I think Edison tested something like 6,000 different filaments, like individually 6,000 different prototypes of trying the, the, this different filament until he found one that worked. There's no other way to do that but like raw energy and persistence. Mm-hmm. So, taking that, let's go into that last piece, yeah. which is the third component, which is will. Um, let's talk about that in a bit more depth and how we incorporate that into our own lives. Yeah, I, I opened the will section with the story of Abraham Lincoln, um, who people, he sort of has this reputation, especially we learn as kids, as being this sort of like interesting, enigmatic, um, but humorous, awkward fellow. In fact, he he suffered from crippling depression his entire life. He like they they called it Lincoln's melancholy, and he he was like clinically depressed, like suicidally depressed for for a good portion of his youth and 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 adulthood. And um, he worked through that. Right? He didn't just say like, "Oh, this is who I am. I'm going to feel this way forever." He as he wrestled with this depression and he tried to make sense of it. He started to understood. He understood two things. I think one that suffering is a part of life, and that there is no such thing as a painless existence. And two, that in the suffering he had experienced, he had gained a sort of a wisdom and a perspective about life that made him really the perfect person to be president of the United States during the American Civil War. Um, because he wasn't, he wasn't as emotionally fragile and excitable as everyone else. He had this kind of compassion, and he understood that, like that, this this trial was going to be a painful one, and it was going to be a 
a bloody terrible one, but he had the fortitude to push through it just in the in the way that he'd had the fortitude and strength to 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 push through his depression. So I like to juxtapose, you know, Lincoln with this sort of plodding, um, you know, patient uh, endurance. And on the other hand, I like to compare him to another American president um, who I think embodies the idea of will, which is Theodore Roosevelt, who was born with 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 crippling asthma uh, as a young man who who sort of worked it out of his body through physical exertion. But where where Lincoln was slow and plodding, um, Roosevelt was high energy and intense and dedicated and and indefatigable and and. And I think both those traits are really important. Entrepreneurship and creativity, it's not just this sort of, um, you know, wisdom that's required, but it's also uh, that excitement and passion that that motivates you through difficulty and, and hard times. I think both are very, very important. Hmm. Ryan, this has been uh, awesome. So uh, one last question for you. Okay. Uh, which is how we close all our interviews at Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What makes someone unmistakable? Um, I think when someone is is truly themselves rather than what they think everyone wants them to be. I, ironically, so much of the advice that we get is about doling the unmistakable or the unique parts of ourselves. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's it's go to college. It's start a company or, you know, buy this car or save up to buy a house. It's to do all these things that ironically make you just like everyone else. Instead of that person sitting down and saying, what's important to me? Who do I want to be? You know, what am I put here on this earth to do? And and what makes them unmistakable is the amount of time and energy they focus exclusively on those questions and and in and in answering them as well. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Ryan, it's so great to have you back here for a second time. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and, and share your story and, and you know some of your insights on this with our listeners. I think people are going to find this really valuable. So as you guys listening, we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.